truth in that song. I, I hope you listened carefully to those words, but most importantly, I pray that we all remember that uh, he's the artist, and, and yes, we're the clay, uh, but the, the, we haven't got thrown in the kiln yet. He, he's not done. The pot isn't permanent. He's constantly molding and shaping and designing us into who he wants to be. So no matter what your pot looks like right now, no matter what your canvas looks like right now, he's not done with it yet. It's not fixed we humans like to say, you know, as we get older especially, well, you know, I, I can't change, I can't be any different, I'm set in my ways, I'm stuck, this is just who I am. Not if God's in charge of your life. Not at all. He can change you if you allow him to, so don't ever, ever forget that. All right, let's open with, with prayer before we dive into God's word this morning. Father God, as we open your word today and we consider what you would have for the family. Father, this is such an important piece of what you designed humanity for. Father, the family is such an integral part of who we are to be as believers, the examples we are to set, the lessons we are to learn. And that's why it's so heavily under attack by the world. The world doesn't want us to have genuine, God-honoring, loving, caring families. The world wants to tear apart the family at every possible opportunity. So as we consider these ideas this morning, I, I pray that everyone listening can take at least one, if not more, of these concepts, of these ideas from your word and apply them to their family to realize that change can happen. And, and Father, if it's a God-honoring change, then it's something that you desire for them right now. Don't let them miss out on this opportunity within their own family. Father, we love you. Amen. Last week, we dove into God's Word, and last week we talked about marriage and how important it is to fight for our marriage. Now, for all the singles listening, we also talked literally about the, the gift of singleness, and, and that is a reality, and that is a real thing in the Scriptures, but we know that many of those that have gathered are married, and so this is something that we have to really think about, to make Jesus the center of our marriage relationship, to allow God to use our spouse to help perfect our character, to allow them to use, to allow God to use our spouse to help humble us, to make us more like Jesus, more like the Jesus we strive to love them the same way that Jesus loves each and every one of us. We seek to serve their needs above our own, to put our spouse ahead of all of our earthly relationships, ahead of our jobs, ahead of our hobbies, ahead of everything else except for our relationship with God. God calls us to rebel and fight against the ways of this world. The relationship that we have within a marriage should, should parallel our relationship, our union with Christ. It is a beautiful model. It's a beautiful symbol for our families and for the world to see how much God loves us and how this relationship with God is to work. Ephesians 5 is the passage from last week that we spent a lot of time in that directly illustrates this. We spent a great time, a deal of time looking at this beautiful living object lesson. 
So if you weren't able to be a part of last week, that's the beauty of the internet. Does anybody remember having to like pick up the tape cassette? You know, like you missed a week and so you had to grab the cassette. Raise your hand. Did anybody pick up the tape cassette from the past? Okay, yeah, we don't have to do that anymore. It's all available for free online anytime you want. There's even a podcast. So you don't have to watch or look at me at all. You can just listen to things. It's a beautiful thing. So if you weren't able to be here last week, it is so important. That's the first step in our relationships on earth is that, that godly honoring, God-honoring marriage. Please take a moment, go back, and, and listen to that. But today, uh, that world, the world that we live in has destroyed that idea of marriage. And that's why we spent so much time on it last week. Every place where it creeps up, they want to put it into it. So we have to fight as believers because if we don't, who else will? Who else will? No one else knows the purpose of marriage, to make it be the incredible thing that God created it to be. But there were two points from last week that usher us perfectly into this week's topic. Just like we have to fight to keep our marriage strong and to keep growing closer to Christ and closer to one another, we have to fight for our families. The world has began by destroying marriages. It's done a great job of doing that. And that has directly led to the destruction of the family. One of those six purposes that that God gave us last week to share with you was that God's design for marriage, one of the purposes was to protect the children. We'll get a little bit more into that today, but beyond that, to raise them up in the ways of Jesus, to teach them the difference between right and wrong, to teach them the difference between good and evil. Yes, there is a difference between the two. A strong marriage is to be the basis for the family, something which God has used throughout history, all of creation, as the building block of society. We talked about that last week briefly as well. So if you've ever wondered why society appears to be completely crumbling to the ground, this is why. The God-given, God-planned, God-ordained example of the marriage and family has completely fallen apart. Now, I chose the word fighting very intentionally very intentionally. As Christians, you know, we get that reputation of we're always fighting against things, right? We're always standing up for what we're against. Well, you know what? We really need to be standing up for what we're for, fighting for what is good, what is right, what is pure, what is holy, what is just. And the family is one of those things. Because we got to be intentional about this. Godly, awesome families do not happen by accident. They can't. If we just leave it to chance, then at best they're average, and at worst they're completely broken and dysfunctional. So we have to fight for our families to be great. There are so many evil forces at work against you and your family right now. We don't even need to list them. You're aware of many of them. You can invent ones. They're all over the place. They're easy to find. So as parents, it is our job to fight for our families as grandparents As great-grandparents, it is our job to fight for our families, to protect our kids and loved ones from the evil forces that are pressing in on them every single day. Depending on what generation you're from, I won't go all the way back, but it began with, remember when you had to really be careful about what your kids would watch on TV? Remember that? When you only had like six channels, maybe total, three, depending on if you live in Terre Haute. Um, yeah, it's true. Um, and that was it. That, that's what you had to do. But then what we do? Or maybe what they listen to on the radio. But then, of course, we moved to a new generation where we allowed everybody to have TVs in their bedrooms. We talked about the reality last week that more kids grow up with TVs in their bedrooms than do mom, their biological mom and dads at home. We, we've swung that pretty far. So now we have no idea what our kids are watching. But now, of course, we've taken it to a whole other level, haven't we? Now we've given them a device in their hands, 
where they can watch anything at any time that they want, and you, have, you think you have no parental controls over. But I can give you lots of examples and lots of opportunities. If you would like some restraints, protection put upon your children, there are some awesome tools out there. Yeah, they cost a little money. Is it worth it to protect your kid's innocence? Because there's no conversations about the battles for their mind, the heart, their soul anymore. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants us parents, he loves the freedom that we give our kids to just do whatever they want to do and make their own decisions. Because that's not the way of God. So now we see what's being implemented. And we taught, and taught even in places like our schools. The media used to have to try to hide the ways it was introducing satanic and sexual ideas in our culture. Some of you remember those old school methods. Maybe you remember playing a record backwards or something crazy like that. Yeah, a little bit more overt now. Now we have full satanic worship service live on national television. And then we give awards to the artists that are hosting them. That's what we do. For too long, we have abandoned our responsibility as the leaders of our families. We have not fought for what is right. We've only fought against what is wrong, and there is a difference. We've not fought to protect our kids from the evils in this world. Now, some of you might know, uh, years and years and years and more years than I care to mention ago, um, Kristen and I decided to send our kids to a Christian school. It wasn't something we grew up in. It wasn't an environment we were in at all as kids. As a matter of fact, I was a public school teacher when we made that decision. I wasn't a pastor or anything like that. We just felt that God was leading us in that direction. Now, let me start with this. Please understand that Christian schools are not perfect. Shocking, I know. Uh, they're run by humans, and they're full of people and students who are people and humans. And guess what? We're all sinners, and we're all saved by grace in the same way. So perfection in that atmosphere is not possible. But the conversations early on, especially that we would have with other parents as we did get into ministry, and people were asking which school our kids went to and all those kinds of things, they would say things to us like, you know, you can't protect your kids forever. You really need to expose them to the world. You need them to, to grow up around these things to, to help them grow up. And so my question back for them is always, well, how do you reconcile those comments, those questions with the ideas of Scripture? Because the Word of God tells us to be wise about what is good and innocent of what is evil. Romans 16, 19. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Proverbs 4, 23. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4, 8. You see, even back whenever my kids were beginning school, and when most of us were in school, we were simply exposed to sinful things, Right? Not even a lot of times on, 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 on purpose. It just kind of happened. You were exposed to those things. And when you're exposed to those evil things, those sinful things, then you had a choice to make, didn't you? And typically, that choice that you had to make was based on one of two things. It was based on your family's upbringing and or the faith that you had been taught. And that was what you went into school with as a weapon to fight against those evil things. But there's a problem now. Because today, what is being taught is that evil is good. That's a little harder to fight against, isn't it? Someone's telling the truth, and someone's lying, and we're leaving it up to our children 
to make that choice on their own. No, see, there is no choice. There is no choice in their world. That's the entire presentation. And so we must all agree to that new truth. In fact, what is good, what is noble, pure, lovely, and admirable has now often been redefined as wrong, as old-fashioned, as discriminatory, and in some extremes, even as evil itself. Gee, I wish we could have possibly anticipated that ever happening. If only Scripture had told us that maybe the world would trend this direction one day, Romans 1.25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. You see, as believers, we are to be innocent of what is evil, not ignorant. Again, there's a difference. We must know what evil is. We must know where it exists. And if you read Scripture, it tells you to flee from it, run away from it, don't hang out with it. We must protect our kids and our families from it. Our role as parents, as grandparents, as the church, to serve alongside these families and teach our kids right from wrong, to use the Word of God as our guide. We must show them and demonstrate to them that there is still an absolute truth. There always will be. We must teach and show them the value in doing what is right no matter what the world tells them. We need to show them how the world has tried to redefine God's truth. Remember from several weeks ago, when you redefine the truth, of course, it becomes a lie. But it's not enough just to say, hey, that's bad. Hey, that's a lie. We have to show the truth. And that's the side that's so often missing. So today, we're going to focus on how to fight to have an awesome family. It absolutely is the right thing to do. I'm going to go all the way back to the Old Testament. I'm not going to take this out of context because I think it's still as absolutely relevant today as it was in the days of Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, the Israelites had gotten to return from Babylon back to Jerusalem, and they were in the process of rebuilding the walls and one day eventually rebuilding the temple. In this opportunity to do this, they were being attacked physically by those that did not want these Hebrews back in this part of the world. And in Nehemiah 4.14, he says these words, After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, to the officials, and to the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Now, he was talking about a physical fight for life. This was a life or death struggle I think we can translate that into our world today because it is still a fight. It is still a life or death struggle. It may or may not be physical, though the consequences could be, but it's definitely a spiritual battle. That might be a great rallying cry for your family. That passes from Nehemiah 4.14, probably not a place you spend a whole lot of time in in your personal study life, but a powerful truth. So are things any different today than in the days of Nehemiah? Are people trying to tear down the walls that we're building? Are they trying to break down the family? Absolutely. So society wants your family to fail. 
Society wants your kids to leave whatever faith they had as a child as far as they possibly can behind them. Society wants your family to be torn apart. They want the sons and the daughters to be fighting and arguing with the moms and the dad. They want no one to get along. They want to separate your family completely and isolate everybody. So that way we're struggling, all of us, with depression and anxiety and all the mental disorders that go along with being separated from the ones that we love. That is the intent of society as Satan is writing it today. And Nehemiah is reminding us that your family is worth fighting for. Don't give up. Don't believe that things cannot change. No matter where you and your family are right now at this point, you can ask God to help you get pointed in the right direction. And it's easy to determine what the right direction is because that direction is always toward him. It's not too late to begin the fight for your family. It might be hard. It might be hard to turn the ship around and face a new direction, but you might not be aware of this. Did you know it's still okay to do hard things? We don't have to all be quitters in the world like we are today. We can do hard things. Maybe you don't have a family yet. Great. You can start planning, start strategizing about how you will fight to protect maybe your marriage one day, maybe your family one day. Start thinking about how you can go and minister to other people that don't have a family. What an opportunity, kids hope, to show them what it looks like when somebody genuinely cares about them enough just to spend time. Maybe you feel like your family is lost already. Maybe it's been lost because of something you've done. Maybe it's something that's happened because of divorce or some other issue. Here's the thing. Are you still alive? Because if you're still alive, it's not too late. Through the power of God alone, he can still mend those broken relationships. He can still open doors that allow you to speak the love and truth of Jesus to those that you care about regardless of how they feel about you. So don't ever give up. Why? Because Jesus will never give up on you. So we have no right to give up on anyone else. Today, I'm going to share with you five traits of an awesome, godly family. The fourth trait we'll spend a great deal of time on. The other four, not so much. This is where we'll begin. Godly, awesome families. This might sound familiar if you were here last week. They, they pray together. Did you know that? It sounds pretty familiar. It begins with the husband and wife praying together. If you're not married yet, then praying potentially for your future spouse, that they will be a godly man or godly woman and have a personal relationship with Jesus. And one day when that person is revealed to you and you begin dating, then you and your date can begin praying together. And if they won't pray with you, well, then that might be a red flag, huh? If it's something you've prayed about. Maybe as a married couple, you never really thought about audibly praying together out loud until we talked about it last week. I challenge you last week, it's been a week, were you able to do that every single day at some point in time throughout the day over the last seven days? If you did, what's happened? What's begun to happen in your relationship together? If not, if you fell short or you started or you forgot by the time you got done with lunch on Sunday, guess what? Consider today a reminder. Start over. Don't ever get discouraged and quit. Start over over. Whether that's your prayer life, your Bible study, whatever it is, don't get discouraged because you fall behind. Just pick up right there and move forward. Don't worry about the past. God doesn't. Start where you're at right in that moment. As parents, we probably don't have any problem praying for our kids, do we? Probably not. Most of us probably do a pretty decent job of that. But do we pray with our kids? 
Do we pray over our kids? Do we ask our kids to pray for us? You see, if we as parents pray with our kids, and we ask our kids to pray for us, and we give them specific needs that we have, how will that change our relationship? You see, they're going to hear us sharing our heart with them. They're going to hear us lifting them up before our Heavenly Father, right in front of their faces. Think of the depth that adds to your spiritual relationship with your family. Think of the intimacy that adds to that relationship. Think of the example that sets for our kids to follow. Think about how their relationship will begin to grow and develop with their God as they see these prayers being answered and responded to by God in their very lives. It's no longer a coincidence that these things are happening. They know that you two have prayed for them and with them, and they're seeing these things flesh out, and they're going, wow, this God thing might be real. He's at work in our lives. This will permanently impress upon our kids the importance of talking to God and relying upon Him to provide. It has the example of the potential of setting an example that lasts for generations. That's why we must make it a priority in our families. If you need help getting started, talk to me. I would love to share more. With you. A second characteristic of an awesome, godly family is that we love to play together. Does your family love to play together? How many of you remember the game, the old board game, Candyland? How many of you hope to never have to play that game ever again? <laughs> right. It's still around, just, you know, it's usually really cheap, actually, to buy. Um, the game actually is, is a very, very important one for lots of reasons. One, it doesn't require a whole lot of skill or intelligence to play. You really barely even need to pay attention, to be honest. But why does it represent awesome families? Well, because they get to play. They get to have fun. They get to enjoy life together. That is an ingredient that is missing in so many families today. We're too busy, too tired, too worn out, too negative, too serious to have any fun. Who wants to come home from school to that? Families should be fun. The average family is all work and absolutely no play. It's just getting us to the next practice, to the next appointment, whatever. It's a life staring at screens. Don't believe me? Is there anything sadder than going into a restaurant and seeing the family of four sitting around the table? Not a word spoken to one another. Awesome families are fun, but it won't happen by accident. You're going to have to take the phones away from mom and dad, too, because it's not just the kids. Just like you and I have to set the tone and the example to be a praying family, we've got to be the ones to set the example and provide the opportunity to be a fun family as well. Family isn't, shouldn't be a boot camp, but discipline is important, and it must be taught. Parents are not drill sergeants. Kids are not prisoners. For the record, neither are parents, just so you know. Parents aren't CEOs. Your family's not a laboratory experiment. You can't add a little of this and a little of that to get the perfect child because there's no such thing as the perfect child, and there's no science to being a family. It is truly an art that will look different in everybody's situation. Many of you know that the Bible talks a lot about work and how important work is, but did you know that the Bible also talks a lot about having fun? 
and enjoying life. That passage on work is so important that we are supposed to work, not just work to be working, but we are supposed to work as if working for the Lord. No matter what you do in life, no matter how important you think your job is or you don't think your job is, you're supposed to do it as if you're working for the Lord. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. I didn't write those words. Paul did. But most people don't know that the Bible says to have fun, to enjoy life. Play is essential for adults too. Talk to any good preschool teacher, and they're going to tell you how important play is for educational development. It helps connect creativity and learning to that overall development of the child, and it doesn't change as we get old. Paul tells us at the end of First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You might say, well, I'm not rich. I got bad news. You live in this country. You're richer than most people on planet Earth. So God's talking to you. God is the source of whatever it is we have, whether we have a lot or a little, God is the source of that, and he tells us. He provides it for our enjoyment. It's the reason he created this world to begin with, is for us to enjoy. God wants life to be enjoyed, not endured. And too many Christians are simply enduring life. We're too busy to enjoy it. If you are too busy to enjoy life, then you are too busy. Let me simply say this another way. Why is it so important for you to enjoy life every day? Because you don't know if you have tomorrow, friends. You don't know if you'll have this afternoon, let alone next week. Many of you have said, you know what, I'm going to really enjoy life when you retire. Oh, really? Oh, really, will you? None of us are guaranteed any of that, so we must enjoy today. And if we have children, we must enjoy them today because they will not be home forever, hopefully, right? And there's some of you like, I'd like to get rid of them again, but you know what I'm saying. As children, <laughs> all right? So let's, we gotta, you have to add that caveat in now, don't you? Anyway, King Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, no fault of his own, he asked God for that gift and God gave him that gift. Had some advice on having fun. Now, it's interesting advice, listen carefully. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All of your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. Ecclesiastes 9, 9. His advice to have fun really doesn't sound all that exciting, does it? All these meaningless days, have fun with them. They're meaningless, they're purpose, none whatsoever. But who wrote this? Who wrote this? This was written by a man that has tried and is likely, as he's writing this, still in the process of trying, everything he can do to make himself happy. And as his book begins, he's found everything under the sun meaningless because he's pursuing the wrong thing. He's not pursuing God. He's not pursuing serving others. So his life is full of one meaningless conquest after another because he is absolutely right. We should be enjoying life, the life that God has given us for his purposes, not for our own. And so as we fight for an awesome, godly family, I want to specifically reach out to gentlemen here this morning. Dad, 
the greatest gift you could possibly give your children other than a faith in Christ as you show them and demonstrate that for them is to love their mom. To love and enjoy life with their mom. To enjoy life with your wife whom you love, as Solomon writes. You see, when a father shows love for the mother of the kids, it creates this interesting family environment, stability, security, peace in the hearts of the children. And think about the world that we live in, so uncertain, so much around them always changing. Should that not be something they can always look to to know it will never change? Husbands and wives don't ever fall into the trap of, ah, we really can't afford to, or we really don't have time to be together because of the kids. That is a huge mistake. You don't have to spend a lot of money at all. I mentioned it last week. You can go to McDonald's. I do realize I need to update the price. And buy the 329 bundle now and get two ice waters and you can each have three chicken nuggets. It'll be a, a beautiful heavenly evening. Or you can do what Chris and I did the other night to kill time. We had to wait on Corey to do something. So we went to Meyer. And we went to Meyer, and the first thing I did when I walked in the Meyer was I went to the ice cream section, and I went down the ice cream aisle, and I bought a box of novelties. I actually went and paid for them, ice cream sandwiches, fat boy ice cream sandwiches, you've ever seen them, very good. And then I brought them back to us as we walked around Meyer for an hour and a half looking at clearance things, eating the ice cream sandwiches. Yes, we ate them all, they didn't melt. Anyway, okay, I ate most of them, but still, cost you nothing. Go for a walk in the neighborhood after you tuck the kids in, it doesn't matter. Be creative. Your kids must see you loving one another, no matter how it grosses them out, because you are the single greatest model of a relationship that they will ever see in their entire life. And if they see their parents just passing in the night, coming and going, working and working and working, but no relationship, that's exactly what they're going to think marriage is supposed to be all about. And probably some of you live that life with your spouse right now because that's what you saw growing up. And you're duplicating that exact same environment right now. You're a pot. You're made of clay. God's still forming and shaping you. Your shape right now is not permanent. You can begin to alter that. Enjoy life with your wife, men. Psalm 127 says that children are a heritage, a gift, a blessing from God. Children are a gift. Let's be honest. Sometimes they're a gift you'd like to exchange, but they're a gift, right? And they're meant to be enjoyed. Are you enjoying your kids? You talk with a lot of other parents. Is a lot of that conversation about the burden of your children or the joy that you have in your children? I began this section with Candyland. Why? Because kids love to play games, no matter how silly or dumb we might think they are as adults. These allow us to sit down on an even playing field with our kids. Well, there's no real advantage to being an adult to playing these games. Anyone can win. Games like this are important. Truth be told, it wouldn't have to be a board game. The real love, the real desire is for time. Time together. This is so important as a family, and it has to be a priority. It is not about the stuff you can buy them. Parents, especially fathers, are really good about this. I can't spend time with them, so I'm going to buy them anything they want. That teaches absolutely nothing, and they don't care about the stuff. 
It's not the number of travel teams that they could be on to play everything all the time. It is about time, attention, and focus. And I said this a minute ago, but parents, put away your phone. It's an addiction. Facebook is an addiction. It's created that way, you know, to mess with your brain. There's actually chemicals released when you get on there. Yes, it's an addiction. If you can't put that down, it is an addiction as strong as any drug addiction that a person could have. And it's killing your family. Put it away. Put it away. They need time. They want time. They deserve our focus. Time is the greatest, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids. When you give them your time, you should also naturally be giving them a glimpse of Jesus within you. His love, his grace, his patience, his truth, his discipline should be what shines through you in time spent with them. Don't forget that. Number three, awesome godly families grow together, just like marriages. We've got to be intentional to grow together. One of the things that makes a a godly family is their support for one another. And I'm not just talking about when they're young kids growing up at home. The family never stops supporting and encouraging and growing. Everybody encourages everybody to keep growing closer to God, closer to each other, and toward the person that God is preparing them to be. Even when they're full grown, even when they're married, even when they've moved far away sometimes, we can still continue to keep encouraging one another, supporting each other in whatever activities we're involved in, challenging each other to be the man or woman that God desires us to be. Jesus, again, is our perfect example of this. Look how he grew. The Bible tells us in Luke 2.52 that when Jesus was 12 years old, it says that then the whole next part of his life, all the way up to his ministry beginning, is summed up in one sentence. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. So there's four kinds of growth that you want to have in your family. You want to grow in wisdom. That's partially knowledge, yes, but it's also discernment, decision-making, common sense, dare I say, that doesn't exist anymore. It's because we don't teach it. We don't show people. Intellectual growth, mental growth. Growth in stature, of course, that's physical growth. That's important. Growing in favor with God. We should be helping our kids grow in favor with God. Spiritual growth, encouraging that in our kids, and then growing in favor with man. Social growth, how to interact with people. Every person in your family should be growing in all of these areas, not just the kids. Mom and dad as well. We need to be growing physically, mentally, spiritually, and socially. How will you be different in a year from now? Think about, can you remember part of last year? Do you know more? Are you smarter today than you were a year ago? Are you closer to God today than you were a year ago? As a child or young adult, Are you physically growing, literally, because you could be very different physically today than you were even a year ago? Awesome families encourage growth in each other. Other families, they just stay the same. Everybody, nobody changes. Nobody grows unless they grow farther apart. And this one plays on this, number four. This is the one we'll spend the most time on. Awesome families learn from each other. We learn so much from our families, both good and bad. In fact, there are a lot of things in life that we won't learn anywhere else. We'll learn it directly from our family. Unfortunately, if we come from a family that's not pursuing Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, then what we learn might actually cripple us in our development and relationships. Many of our problems that we have as an adult come from the fact that 
We just didn't have good examples or didn't learn certain things as kids. So we don't know how to react. So here's a few things. These aren't, this is an exhaustive list. But here's a few things that we should be learning from our families. And so, parents, are you teaching these things to your families? Are you modeling these things for your family? We should be modeling the ways of Jesus in our families. The first one is what to do with our feelings. It's one of the most important life skills that we can have. How do I handle my emotions? What do I do with them? How do I deal with how I feel? In an awesome, godly family, you learn how to recognize those feelings, how to name them, how to own them, how to identify those things when they're happening to you, how to express those feelings correctly rather than incorrectly, how not to keep them bottled up inside. You see, if you don't learn how to deal with how you feel in your family, then you're going to go through life very emotionally handicapped, crippled. You're going to learn it from somewhere, and the somewhere may not be positive. It's one of the many reasons why marriages so often fall apart is because they did not learn in their family how to deal with how they feel correctly and effectively. In an awesome godly family, we learn how to recognize these things called emotions. We understand what a good emotion is and what a bad emotion is and how to handle each of those. We learn how to name it, how to talk about these things as a family and help one another deal with these emotions. If you don't learn how to handle conflict within your family, oh, that's the next one. Sorry, <laughs> I skipped. But it's so important to learn how to deal with emotions. This feeling thing, feelings are all the rage in our society. And we're allowed to feel however we want, right? And act however we want because of how we feel. And you see where that's led us. We have to understand those emotions and separate the goods from the bads and understand how to deal with those feelings. The second thing that we got to learn from our family is how to handle conflict. If you do not learn how to handle conflict in your families, you are going to have problems in every relationship you ever have, every sports team you ever play on, every game you ever play. You've got to learn how to handle conflict. Because, one, because no one taught you the skills of how to resolve conflict, you're going to be in conflict with everyone all around you probably most of the time. If kids don't see their parents working out conflict in a positive way, parents working on their problems out in front of them, showing that this is how you deal with the things that are happening. When we have differences, this is how we work through these things. This is how we deal with things when we get hurt. This is how we deal with things when we get mad. We don't, we, if we do not learn godly, effective ways of handling them, then we're going to struggle. I heard it described this way. If you never learn God's ways of dealing with conflict, you're either going to become a skunk or a turtle. You see, some of you, you'll identify yourself very quickly. Skunks, when they're upset, everyone knows it. Yeah, true. Yeah, they kind of stink up the place. A turtle, on the other hand, of course, retreats. Whenever conflict, anything happens, they retreat into their shell. They pull back out of that fear of conflict. Now, for the record, it does seem in life that skunks typically will marry turtles. Just the way it works. Don't look at your spouse. Stop it. It's not nice. But you know the one. You know which one you are. If you're the skunk, you know if you're the turtle, you know. Here's the thing. One of you is the aggressor. One of you pulls back. And neither of these is a godly approach. So neither of you get the upper moral high ground on this category. They're both ineffective ways of dealing with conflict. As leaders of our families, we've got to help show how to deal with conflict in a godly way. 
Maybe that's a whole other sermon title or series later on in life. If that's something that interests you, let me know. Put a little thing on the camera. I would love to do a series on handling conflict in this world. Great. Let me know. That might be a good thing. I don't know unless you tell me. All right? It's, a, it's an awesome opportunity. The third thing that's really important to learn from your family is how to handle loss. So important to teach them how to handle loss because we all will have losses and some of them will be big in our life. We have to teach our kids how to deal with grief in our life. Some of our losses will be very large, some of them will be very small, but we must learn them. And if we don't know, then we need to get in God's word for some guidance. We are now seeing the effect of 20 plus years of teaching our children that there are no winners or losers in life. That everyone just wins all the time. No, no they don't. If that's all they know, then eventually they're going to experience loss and it's probably just not going to be a goldfish or losing a soccer game. They're going to lose their job. They're going to lose a relationship. They're going to lose a friend. And it's going to be devastating. They haven't learned that failure or defeat will not destroy you. That that loss will not be, does not have to be, the end of their life. And if they don't learn that, then the results can be tragic. We have to help our kids learn how to handle loss, how to grieve. There's another board game that some of you might remember called Shoots and Ladders. We've played that one before. Probably don't want to play that one anymore either. But this game actually, as simple as it is, is an incredible metaphor for life. If you've played, then you know that sometimes you'll roll and you'll get right along there and you'll hit that ladder and you'll just go up, 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 and it's wonderful. And the reality is that sometimes you'll roll and you'll hit that chute and, and you'll go way back down, maybe even all the way to the very beginning. And the reality is there are some things in life that absolutely should be celebrated, successes that exist, but we can't get too full of pride or too big of an ego because on the next roll, the next day of our life, something bad may happen. Sometimes you're ahead of everybody else in the family. You've played this game, you know. And two rolls later, you're as far behind as you possibly could be. That, my friends, is life, is it not? Games like this can help teach our kids how to have the ups and downs in life and not get upset about it. I struggled with that as a kid. I've seen my kids struggle with that when I played these games with them. Just very recently, I was playing with one of my youngest children, and we played this very game, and boy, she got upset when she hit that shoot. And then she ended up winning the game even. It's just part of life. It teaches us how to take our turn. You ever thought about that? If you've driven on 70, you know there's a lot of people that don't understand that concept, <laughs> how to take their turn, right? One of the main things these games teach us is how to win graciously, and that losing, in the end, it's just part of life. Here's an important, simple verse for you and your family to memorize. And if you don't have a family or children, that's okay, because this verse applies to everyone. Proverbs 24, 16, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. This reminds us that even good people fall. The best people stumble, they mess up, they get things wrong, they do the wrong thing. We all fall, we all stumble, we all mess up. Falling is not ever going to be our focus as a believer in Christ. This verse says that good and righteous people, though they fall, 
Godly people will get back up again, even if they fall seven times and know that number is not literal. Because God is the one helping them back up. This verse is talking about resilience, something our culture does not have any of. Resilience is one of the most important characteristics for a child to have if they're going to be successful in life. Do they have the ability to get back up again? Do our families have the resilience to get up and fight? Teaching a child resilience, setting an example. Parents, do we give up too easy for our children? Just keep on getting up, keep on going. This will help create a godly, awesome family. This will help your kids be prepared for anything that life may throw at them. It's not a guarantee that they're going to be this wildly successful person, though it does increase their odds dramatically. They're going to have just as many losses as anyone else in life. They just don't give up. They're resilient. The fourth thing that we learn from our families are which values matter most. What values, think about you personally, what values matter most to you? Are you sharing those with your kids? Yes, you are, whether you know it or not. You have to help your kids know what is important and what is not. I think we probably all would agree the world is probably teaching a slightly different set of values to our children than we would wish for them to have. All around us, the world are teaching our kids values that we simply just don't agree with, but it's not about our agreement, it's God's. Unfortunately, accidentally or purposely, we might actually be reinforcing a lot of these values and these ideas in our homes, so we have to be very careful. The world teaches us that, hey, only thing that matters is that you look good. How you look, that's really all that matters. Image truly still is everything that hasn't changed according to the world. And even further, it doesn't matter what your character is. As long as you look good, you can do and be whoever you want to be. The world teaches you that the more money you have, of course, the more important you are, the more successful, the more fulfilled you will be, the more significant your life is. That could not be further from the truth. I've already wrote a short passage, but there's an entire book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, written to that exact pursuit and what a failure, a terrible, awful failure that pursuit is, and yet the world has devoted itself to it. The world teaches us that everything is about sex. No. No, no, it's really actually not. And because of that, now the world, of course, has become obsessed with this idea of gender. It's kind of confusing to me because there's only two. And it really doesn't take long to differentiate between those two. God created those two from the very beginning. Everything else has been invented by man to confuse people. And that confusion is only there to satisfy our feelings that we haven't ever learned how to deal with and our desires that we fight against, the desire to sin that we all have. The world teaches us that our value comes from how other people view you. When the truth is, our value comes from God alone. And our value is more than any of us could ever possibly comprehend, regardless of what the world tells you. Our kids are going to develop a value system. It will either be based on the way we're living or it will be based on other things. Are we working hard to live out and impress upon them the values of Jesus found in Scripture and then demonstrated through our lives as parents? Or are we allowing the school, are we allowing movies, are we allowing video games and songs and friends and other things in the culture to be the main primary influence? You see, it won't happen by accident. One of those two will rule 
the day. The fifth thing that we learn from our families are simply this, good and bad habits. Good and bad habits. Parents, they will do what we do, whether we want them to or not. They will act how we act. They will literally say the things that we say. Our job is to be like Mary and Joseph to Jesus and to help him grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. That is our duty as parents. We owe it to our kids. If we do not provide a godly, positive example for them to follow, we are falling short in our calling as parents. We've got to think about that in all the decisions we make. The final thing from today, the actual fifth point in what makes godly, awesome families, and again, there's a lot of other things too. This is just a random assortment of things. They serve God and they serve others together. You see, godly families, awesome families, don't just care about themselves. They care about other people. Anybody can and should care about their own family. The average Family is self-centered. I care about my kid on the team. That's why I'm here. Yeah, I don't care about the kid who doesn't have any parents in the stands. I'm just here for my kid. I will spend every free moment and every spare dime supporting, every dollar supporting my kid's participation in fill-in-the-blank activity. I'm teaching them about priorities when I do that in their life. They will be committed to this event, this team, this whatever. They probably will never miss a practice. They certainly will never, ever miss a competition. But you know, I'm kind of tired on Sunday morning, so I probably am just going to stay home today. I probably can't make it to church. Yeah, I don't think we can get them back to youth group for tonight because, man, ah, 7.30, that's kind of late on a school night. But, you know, I don't have any problem with that basketball practice that lasts till 8 or that road game that I don't get home from till after 9 No problem at all. You are absolutely right. We are teaching them every decision we make, parents. We are teaching them to be committed. But to what? We have to teach our kids to be committed to God and to what is true and what is right and what is holy. We must teach them that we can serve God by serving others. Awesome families teach their kids that it's not all about them. Believe it or not, your kids aren't the center of the universe. God still is. Awesome families teach their kids that they're made by God and they're made for God for a specific purpose. How are we teaching? How are we showing our kids to serve God? Are you serving together as husband and wife like we talked about last week? Maybe you're even serving together in your kids' class. What an example. Are you taking your kids with them to church for a work day and help letting them help around the church? Are you letting them help cook for a church dinner or help prepare a meal for a family in need or a family going through crisis? What an awesome opportunity. Is your home open to hosting people that don't have to be there? Have you ever invited a stranger out to lunch from this room after church service or over for dinner throughout the week? Because your, your kids will notice that and wonder, why are mom and dad doing that? We don't even know that person, right? We're inviting them over so we can get to know them. We're inviting them to lunch with us so we can get to know them. A lot of us families do a great job of always being together. That's awesome. Who have you invited in that doesn't have a family? Or are we selfish with who we are? Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's what's godly. Awesome families do this. We teach each other to show love. We teach each other to do good deeds. Are we teaching our kids 
to be generous, both to the church through regular tithes and offerings. Do they know that you give? Do they watch you do that? Have you made that a priority in your life? Do your kids see you? Have you taught them not to give from what they have left over, but to give from the first fruits as God asks us to do? Have your kids seen you help people when they're in need? It might be through a financial support, or it could be through a physical action, you going and constructing or building or helping in some way, shape, or form an individual out there that you didn't have to help. They aren't family. Kids who see their parents serve, kids who see their parents give, will much more likely become very generous servants themselves, especially if you incorporate them into the process. If you're always abandoning them to go and serve that's probably not sending the best possible sign. You need to involve them in the process. And when you do, you will create this thing that we don't spend enough time talking about in the church. You'll create what's called a legacy. How rewarding will it be one day when your grandkids are modeling these same Christ-like behaviors that you tried to instill in your children and you thought they would never get it? As we close today, please know that our families will not be perfect. Please do not look at my family and think we are perfect in any way. We are as messed up as any family out there, I promise, because I'm the one leading it. <laughs> I guarantee it. I knew Dan- Daniel was going to come through for me at some point in time. That was not the word of God, though. That was the word of Chris, so you need to be careful what you're responding to. Anyway, we want to be intentional about praying together playing together, growing together, learning together, and serving together. No matter where you're at in this life right now, are you willing to make a commitment to make the best possible path moving forward for our families, to strive to be a godly, awesome family? We're going to be intentional about praying together. It's not going to accidentally happen. We're going to set a routine. We're going to do it every day. Intentional about the way we are teaching our kids the ways of Jesus. Intentional about the conversations that we have with our kids about real life issues and the things happening around us in the world. Do not let the schools and the teachers teach your kids those things. That's our job as parents. Will we set aside time just to be together, to plan, to have fun, as well as serve with our families? What kind of legacy do we parents want to leave for our kids? Is the priority a relationship with Jesus or anything else? If it's anything else, then it's a problem. It's a mistake. It's the wrong direction. There's a very famous passage in the Old Testament that you might have on the wall in your home. It's a bold statement made by a man named Joshua, who became the leader of the Hebrew nations after Moses's passing. The Hebrew nation is standing, he's standing before the entire Hebrew nation and he's challenging the people to leave their old ways behind them, to just get rid of it, to commit to the Lord fully. And he makes those famous bold words and he says this, and Joseph, or Joshua declares, choose this day for yourself whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. You may, having that, you may have that on the wall in your house, but are you living it out? Fighting for your families like this will lead them closer to God, and it will help them make them way, way, way more awesome. And it will set an example for everyone around you of what a godly family looks like. Will you fight 
for your family. Father God, as we close today, we pray that your word will inspire, will challenge the families here at Berea to live out this example. Father, whatever the reason or excuse, maybe we're already doing a great job. That's awesome. It gives us more things potentially to focus on and and consider. Whether we're grandparents, great-grandparents, or not parents at all, it gives us things to ponder, things to implement in our own lives to make sure our relationship with you is good and right and pure and just. And whatever opportunity you give us to help lead and guide others, use us to guide them in your direction. Father, I know there are families here that need healing. Father, there are people that have come from and are a part of broken families where sin has crept in in the past and tore things apart. And Father, that as hard as that has been to go through and is to live, Father, that is not your plan. That is not your design for those individuals. And today, that restoration can begin. Today, a path forward, bringing first of all the individual closer to Jesus. And then through your love and through your guidance, that individual can be used to help heal broken relationships. Father, for those of us that are parents and have been busy and we're just doing life as best we know how, we're not intentionally trying to live out these commands from your word. We're not intentionally being a godly parent. We're being good parents. We're loving our kids. We're supporting them. We're we're providing for them. But maybe we haven't intentionally focused on the spiritual things of this world and bringing them up in that way, regardless of how old our kids are today, whether they graduate high school in May or they've just been born. Father, there's an opportunity to begin speaking into their lives the truths that you have shared. So Father, challenge us today to begin doing that. Father, there's a lot of content, but as I pray at the opening of service, I pray that something from your word today inspires someone here today. That everyone here today takes a piece of your word, a piece of the challenge for their family, regardless of their phase of life, to apply directly to them. Let no one walk away unchanged. Let no one walk away without something tangible. Your word never returns void. And we know it won't today. Father, we love you.